that escalated quickly. Welcome to Primary Technology, the show about the tech news that matters. We have the initial Apple Vision Pro reviews. We want to do a cursory overview of those. Plus, iOS 17.4 is out in beta, and there's some big features there. Plus, Apple's DMA compliance, which that news dropped literally after we stopped recording last week. So we want to cover that. Plus, the social media hearing with TikTok and Meta CEOs and more. Some Microsoft Google news. Maybe some Mark Browser. We'll see. I'm one of your co-hosts, Stephen Robles, and joining me, as always, my good friend Jason Aten. How's it going, Jason? It's good. It, this was a very long week, it's, but it's good. I'm glad we're together. It's a very long week. A lot to talk about. I know, that, I know people are also going to write in. I, no, I did not get a new microphone. Okay. I got a new cold. That's what I got this week. Much cheaper. So if, it's, it's much cheaper. But if you're wondering why I sound different, it is because I have a cold. But honestly, I like my voice like this. So as we record, it's Thursday morning. We released the show Thursday midday. I just got emails saying that my Apple Vision Pro has shipped, which, I mean, I could track it in the UPS app. Like, I know it's been in, in route for the last couple of weeks, but I have the, it's arriving February 2nd emails from Apple for the Apple Vision Pro, my $200 travel case, which we're going to talk about, and, and the Belkin battery clip. All of that is arriving tomorrow. And I even, I, I posted this on social media. I, I had a heart to heart with my UPS guy because I was like, <laughs> you know, they usually they come around 1 PM in the afternoon and I'm like, that's, it's not bad. You know, I know some people like Casey list from the ATP show, his UPS guy comes at like seven at night, which is, would be terrible. Oh yeah. You know, one o'clock in the, it's not bad, but let me see if I can get it even earlier. So yeah. I actually had a delivery yesterday from UPS and I caught the guy at the door and I was like, Hey man, uh, I just have a question. I said, Friday's kind of a big day for me. There's some uh, important packages coming. What can we do about this? So I literally have, I have his phone. He gave me his phone number. Oh, wow. So I have his phone number. I'm not going to show it on air, but this is the back of the, the UPS. Uh, <laughs> he wrote his phone number on one of these little like slips and uh, told me, listen, give me a call at this time and we'll work something out. So. <laughs> <laughs> did you slip him $50 or something? <laughs> no, I did not. I did not give him any money or anything at the request. Uh, I might give him a gift card or something because he is very kind to actually do anything. And uh, so, yeah, we'll see. I might be able to get a little early, but it's coming. And of course, you canceled your order. Usually when someone says, give me a call, we'll see what we can work out, though. There's usually at least something involved there. Well, that, there will be. The, you know, I didn't want it to okay. feel like a bribe. You know, I feel like if I would have given him, if I would have given him money up front, that would have felt like a bribe. But I was like, if I, I feel like if you would have, if you would have given him money up front, he would have known there's no way you're getting it because right, he'd be like, exactly. whatever that guy is giving me money for is probably worth a lot more off the back of my truck. And he did, uh, listen, we we're getting to talking about the news, but this is funny anyway. So like, I was trying to be vague about why I wanted it early. And he was like, is it big? Like, do we need help? Like, what is happening? And I was like, no, no, it's, it's not big. And so I we literally did help. the th I told him, I was like, listen, I make videos for the internet. And it's a thing that I'm going to make videos about. The sooner in the day I get it, just the better it is. And he was like, yeah, okay, that's cool. Like, <laughs> I, have some, yeah. I have some overnight airs I have to do first, and then give me a call. So we'll see, we'll see how it goes. I'll He's like, oh, so you're one of those. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you're we you're know one your of type. <laughs> he was a cool guy, though, so, so we'll see. But anyway, the uh, Apple Vision Pro re reviews, a lot of reviews came out. No, actually, not a lot. It, basically, from the, from the characters that you would have assumed, like MKBHD, iJustine, Brian Tong, The Verge, CNET had one. And we're going to talk about those because there were a lot of some questions answered, like our follow up about the battery icon in Apple Vision Pro. 
And uh, I have some more questions, actually, but want to do some five-star review shout-outs. Thank you all for your wonderful support of the show. Every week, our audio downloads, like, increase, and so we are fine. Like, people are finding the show, and it's thanks to you guys, so we appreciate Keep sharing it. Keep giving five-star reviews. And those who did this past week, JVols283, JCB56, Darth Corey, I just want you to know, Jason, he said, super knowledgeable co-host Jason Aten. Pointed you out personally. Mm. Want you to know. I appreciate that. Okay. Thanks, man. Yeah, there was another one that said, and that other guy is pretty good too. But, you know, this mm. guy actually said, Jason, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I, I get that. I actually have a name badge that says the other guy. Did the, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. Mike Ellie, a five-star review, Area Vampire, but Vampire with a Y, so maybe it's not a real vampire. CLC, CL Const, SD Travel, and Minjin17. He actually had a word for you, Jason. So again, he's addressing you directly. Uh, he was saying our full self-driving car segment where we're talking about, uh, you know, the Waymo and, and Tesla. He said, we have to mention beta because full self-driving is still in beta, which I feel like it's been beta for what, five years? A long time. Yep. It's, it's been in beta yep. for a long time. But ba- hold on. I just want to say, if you say a thing will do a thing, but you say it's in beta, that doesn't negate, it doesn't mean it can just do anything. If you still call it like full self, like if you get iOS 17.4 beta, you ex- still expect it to be iOS, right? You wouldn't expect it to suddenly sure, be Windows sure. Mobile. I'm just saying. <laughs> Beta is not an excuse. <laughs> Please address your feedback to okay. the other guy at yeah. primarytech.fm. <laughs> Please All right. Leave it not the other guy. The if other you can guy. make that an email address, I would love that. <laughs> oh, you know, I think I will. That'd the other guy at, yeah, I want that. <laughs> the other guy. All right. So Apple Vision Pro reviews. I watched, I watched them all. I watched all the videos. I read John Gruber's, oh. uh, in, you know, at length review and everybody, you know, it was interesting. I th- the first day, the embargo dropped, it was Tuesday, like 9 a.m. And of course, everybody, like initial reviews, I just seen MKBHD. MKBHD, I thought, was uh, wise. You know, he just did like an unboxing that first review day. He was like, listen, I'm just going to unbox this thing. And we're going to see what happens. And then he did a follow-up video the next day where he really went into the experience. And I feel like we've seen now a lot of footage of the experience. Uh, MKBHD specifically showed the battery icon which we had the question last week how do you see the battery and there's actually an icon for the control center so you can see it here there's like this little green arrow that kind of floats above a lot of the content you have to look up at that arrow and then you pinch and you can access the control center which you can also screen record which was one of my questions and you could see like from a lot of these youtubers brian tong also did a bunch of screen recordings this is the persona that's also in beta. We'll talk about that in a minute. <laughs> but uh, so that's how you, you know you can record the screen. I thought I Justine, I thought they all did a great job. I thought Brian Tong's initial video actually was really good because he showed a lot of use cases, like what is it really like to use this? Again, I'm getting mine tomorrow as we record. So I want to reserve like our judgments on it for then. But it does feel like, and Neil I said this too. And everybody said the Verge review was like very quote unquote negative, but I felt like this, this comment was realistic. Like it's a VR headset. You know, I think that's probably the most accurate take. Like, you know, you've probably seen MetaQuest 3 reviews or footage. And again, the quality of the Apple Vision Pro, again, all the reviewers stated that it's, you know, head and shoulders above other VR headsets as far as pass through and screen quality. 
But when it comes to use cases, like watching lots of different sports windows, like Brian Tong is here, it's a, it's a VR headset for right now until we see more use cases. I don't know. What was your impressions kind of watching these reviews come in? There is one you didn't mention that I will mention for the audience, which is Joanna Stern's review for the Wall Street Journal. Oh, yes. Which was, if you don't pay attention to her stuff, you really should. She actually yes. had an interview this morning with uh, Ben Thompson on Stratechery that, that that's fascinating if, if you if you're a strategic subscriber you can go read it or listen to it the thing about joanna stern is she's like these look like ski goggles so i'm going to wear them skiing right literally and then she, yeah, she did literally went skiing with them and then she she did a really good job of showing what it would be like for a normal person to use these like she wore them cooking which yes. the crouton app was very clear you should not wear them cooking but she did and it's like you could place a timer over the actual thing that you're cooking on the stove. And if you have multiple things on the stove cooking, you can put multiple timers. So she did a great, I really liked hers. I just wanted to throw that out there. And for someone who's thinking, why would I want one of these? I actually would recommend her review probably over the others. I think that MKBHD, his second video did a very good job of, of walking through sort of like the practical pieces of the technology, right? It's a very good overview just from a tech perspective. And I actually think that the service that the Verge's review did was it's very much more philosophical, right? It's like, why does this thing exist? What do we, what does it mean? And and they were, you know, Neelai was very, very consistent in saying, this is the best version of this that's ever existed. The question is, why does this exist, right? And I think that's really good. So uh, those are the three that I, the other ones were great too. No shade to anybody who put in the effort to put one of these together. I think that if you were if you were short on time, I would watch them in that order. I'd watch Joanna's, then I'd watch MKBHD, and then I'd watch The Verge because they those combined to give you a really good. I think Brian Tonks was like an hour and something long, so there was a very in depth in his review as well. So that's great. But I just wanted to make sure to call that call out Joanna's because if you're wondering what it would really be like to wear this in real life, or if anyone would, she wore it for basically 24 hours. <laughs> she did. she even wore it on CNBC the next day. <laughs> I did listen. I, I'm so sorry I, I missed, forgot hers. I did watch hers because I watch pretty much any review video she does. You know, when it when it comes to yeah. reviewing tech products, she really goes above and beyond to do something different. Yep. Like she's going to be different. I remember when the satellite SOS feature came out for the iPhone, she literally went to an island <laughs> to yep. test the SOS satellite feature. So absolutely. And I've been following Joanna Stern, Neelai Patel from like their old Engadget days. Like I read them yep. back then. This is my next shout out to the OGs who know what that is. And now the purge. Yep. And join us during that Wall Street Journal. But one thing I would need to ask you because you've actually tried it. Neelai in his review said that you get this vignetting around the image when you're in, when you're wearing Apple Vision Pro, that it's not like the field of view is not completely like your peripheral might see these vignetting around the edge. Then I had someone actually uh, direct message me, I believe from Apple, saying in the pass through, maybe you see that, but in the fully immersive, if you do the digital crown and fully immerse yourself in an environment, you don't get that vignetting. Do you remember if you see this or not? Oh yeah, so that's a good question. And just to set kind of level set, if you are watching this on YouTube, and if uh, you can see sort of like the example of this that The Verge put in their video, if you're not, if you're just listening to it, when you get to a safe place, you could go look at the video. It's like Mount Hood and they've simulated the experience because VR is really hard to explain what you're seeing inside of a headset. Um, looking at what they're showing here, I don't remember anything that was like that dramatic, okay. right? Where it looks like you're looking through binoculars or something. Right. But I will, I, I think the important piece of that is 
when I tried this in June, it was like we went to the keynote, went to this demo. It I remember the experience. I don't remember anything about the the edge cases because I didn't get to use it for six days, right? And this is not the kind of thing I can promise you that when you first put it on, this is not what you're going to notice. You're not going to be thinking, huh, there's a little bit of vignetting around the edge or hmm, my field of view is obstructed because all you have to do is like turn your head and your field of view will will change. And so I don't remember, I definitely don't remember it being that dramatic. I don't really, it wasn't a thing that I noticed at all. But again, I wasn't picking it apart. I was just sitting there enthralled by the dinosaur that was coming into the room. So (laughs) I'm fully prepared to be enthralled by the dinosaur. Did you know that John Favreau made the dinosaur experience? No, I just learned this today from that Vanity Fair article that you shared. I read the whole thing, all 4,500 words. Did okay? So that was the other thing that just came out right before we recorded. Vanity Fair has an article with Tim Cook and the first images of an Apple executive wearing Apple Vision Pro. And Big this deal. just just came out. Um, I'll show uh, I'll show some of the images uh, from the article, and I'll put this article in the show notes as well. But yeah, this this is like the first time we're seeing something like it. Oh, good! This article's uh, this one's on us. Apparently, I can actually access this article. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Good to know. But yeah, this is the article from Vanity Fair. Here's Tim Cook. If you're watching YouTube.com/slash at Primary Tech Show, there he is wearing the headset, hiding the battery cable conspicuously. You know, as you do. Yep. Also here, you see the battery cable in this image. This is the cover yep. uh, image, it seems like. A vanity like. fair, yep. I got to be honest, how cool or normal you might look or not wearing a headset like this. I feel like Tim Cook, obviously these are very staged photos and they probably was very careful, but he doesn't look wild wearing it. I feel like he looks pretty good. I think you're headset. right. I think he, that he was photographed well. Yes. I think the more interesting thing piece about this is... Uh, to my knowledge, this is the only press that Tim Cook has done on this. You know, oftentimes we'll see him actually go to jo- Joanna Stern and do an interview, that kind of a thing. And and actually, and they made Jaws available for this article too. I, see, this is the service I provide. I speed read this 4,600 word article as soon as I saw Thank it you. so that we could actually talk about it. But I thought- That's this, thanks to the other guy, okay? So all the other guy. <laughs> well, he I mean, literally- well, that's because my job all day long is to read things fast so that I can then decide what to write about. So I am very good. That is the one service that I can provide to you. Yeah, I read things good. fast. But I mean, so like they made uh, Mike Rockwell, Joswiak, Tim Cook all available, not to The Verge, not to The Times, not to The Wall Street Journal, to Vanity Fair, which I think says a lot about what Apple thinks about what it needs to do to make this a, a, a mainstream, you know, th- this Product. is similar to the way they approach the watch. Yeah. Right. That, when yes. it was, they were going to GQ and to fashion and to that kind of thing. So I, th- I think that was pretty interesting that that's where you first get the look is in vanity fair. So every time I was watching one of these reviews and reading an article, the analogy that just keeps coming back is the Apple watch launch. You know, especially from the curated photos that we saw last week where Apple had these people come in, try the Vision Pro, photograph them, that they are trying to like insert this product into mainstream culture, not necessarily 
tech bubble culture. They are trying to say that this is not just for nerds or that VR is only something that you play games in. Again, seeing some of the influencers they had in those pictures and this Vanity Fair article, like Vanity Fair, like this is a, yep. I would say, a cultural affecting publication. Interesting, not the New York Times, not, you know, not some of those other ones. And maybe we'll see other like GQ articles, who knows, in the coming weeks. But I think it's very interesting and it keeps feeling like the Apple Watch, especially as I'm watching reviewers, MKBHD. Obviously, there's some cool use cases today, like watching five basketball games at a time or experiencing a movie. It seems like the universal positive from all the reviews was that watching a movie in Apple Vision Pro is the best. <laughs> like, yeah. it is probably, I think it was Neil I said it, it was, it's going to be the best TV experience that most people have. And investing, like, uh, you can buy an OLED TV today like 65 inches, and you're going to be approaching Vision Pro cost if you buy a high-end one, plus audio. Yep. You know, if you want to buy a Sonos Arc and a sub, you're well over $4,000 now. So when it comes to a theater experience, a lot of them are saying, like, that's clear in a way one of the best things to do with it today. But as I prepare to make videos about it and use it and figure out what it's for, I keep watching the app story, and I'll put this link in the show notes as well, this is a directory, basically. I'm not sure who has been putting it together. I think it's, uh, okay, written by Perjan Duro, it looks like. he's um, Those guys. These guys are putting together this website, basically curating a directory of apps that will be available for Vision Pro. And there's some great ones, uh, Shortcut Buttons. Matthew Casanelli shared this on social media. And this is going to be one where you can actually put shortcuts in VR space or AR space around your home or wherever and run shortcuts by tapping them. I'll be 100% trying that on day one. There's a lot of mindfulness apps uh, that are going to be available for meditation and mindfulness, putting yourself in different environments. But this website is showing all the different apps. There's a great apps. Uh, Castaway, I'm very curious how that's going to work. That's from Vor Voorhees. I believe, is it, is it John Voorhees' son or is it? it he has a son. Uh, I think I his name is Finn. Finn Voorhees. Finn Voorhees is yep. the developer. And I know John Voorhees was like sharing these things because, and Castaway is an app where because you can't capture video directly into Apple Vision Pro, he's doing it through the iPad airplane to Apple Vision Pro, which I guess you can do. So he had like uh, Nintendo basically connected that way and then playing Mario in Apple Vision Pro. I was very careful just then to say Mario and not Mario as I know it to be pronounced because I'm from New York. <laughs> but anyway, I'm watching the app story, but all of these apps, which all look great, I think it's still going to beg the question, what is going to be the use case that I look at the Apple Vision Pro and pick it up to do something with? You know, when I think about all my devices, like I love tech just for the sake of it being technology and, and what they're capable of and the techs or the specs or whatever. But when I look at my iPad, in the end, I think of it as a tool. Yep. When I'm going to edit the audio version of this podcast, I reach for my iPad and Apple Pencil because it's the best tool for that job for me. When I look at my Mac Studio, that is a tool for editing video and doing all the other things related to that. When I look at my iPhone, like it is also a tool. And while it's a communication device, probably primarily, I do a lot of productivity on it. Like I was reading articles on it last night in preparation for this show. Yep. And so will Apple Vision Pro become a tool for some use case in the coming years. We're not going to know it in these early weeks, I think. It's going to take some time. But that's the question I have in my mind. Like, is it going to become a tool in the toolbox for creators, for any kind of productivity, for anyone, where they say, this task, this use case, 
I want to do it on Apple Vision Pro because it's the best tool for that thing as opposed to my iPad or Mac. That's what kept coming to my mind. This is not based on my experience using it. This is based on more the reviews and just thinking about this. And, you know, uh, we've we've learned because I think it was The Verge that actually just flat out asked and was given an answer that Vision OS is based on iPad OS. <clears throat> and I think that that's an important thing to keep in mind, really, because when they say you're basically wearing an iPad on your face, you are. So any of the software limitations essentially that that are true in the ipad now I, sh that, I should be careful because one of the biggest limitations on the ipad is the complete essentially the complete lack of window management which is different on the vision pro you can have lots of things in lots of places to do all the stage manager bros they're coming for you uh that's fine come <laughs> I'm in just kidding. it's, it's I'm all just good kidding. but uh but i think that you yeah, you can make things work on the iPad. There are people who do that, but there are a lot of things that you can't really make work. And so I will be interested to see how that story goes. <clears throat> I think it's compelling. I think it would be great. But if the only way to do what some people will consider real work is to, you know, uh, connect your M MacBook Pro to it and have your Mac in it. And I mean, they're just working on your Mac. Like what do you, like it might be great, but it's, it's not even better than a studio display at that point because you're limited in the resolution of the screen. You can make it bigger, but if the thing that you're doing all day on your Mac, I, so I'm, I think that that is a piece of the story that we don't know yet. And it's going to be, I think this answers the question of why did they go to the van, go to vanity fair? Because all the tech people who are going to buy one of these did not need to be convinced. They're just going to buy one of these. It's in order for this right. to become Apple's next platform. It has to be more than just you and I, not even I, but you and all the other people who bought one of these, <laughs> it has, <laughs> yes. you know, 180,000 units in the opening weekend is not going to be a successful platform for them. That's a very, I mean, that's more niche than the, Apple TV, right? If they can't sell a couple million of these a year, then it, there's it, you're not going to see the ecosystem develop that way. So I, that's the piece I think will be really interesting is will you be able to genuinely do real work on this right. for long periods of time? So, And I'm, I'm obviously going to be using it a ton this coming week. And so I'll save more time in the next episode where I can share my, my personal experience from it. But one last thing before we move on to 17.4 and more news, the digital persona thing so yeah, everybody did this, you know, uh, Neli and MKBHD and Joanna Stern, they all had like a FaceTime call and they showed it uh, in Apple Vision Pro. This is Brian Tong's video. And he actually posted a video of just the entire FaceTime call, just so you could really see this at length. The process by which you create your persona is you take the Apple Vision Pro off your face, you turn it around. So the outside glass is facing you and all the cameras and you smile, you turn your head, you do all this stuff. And these are the personas, if you're watching on YouTube, of what they look like. And listen, like, everyone's, like, knocking on this. This is a beta feature. Obviously, it's Uncanny Valley. Like, these are digital projections of human beings. <laughs> but it's also not bad. Like, Brian Tong doesn't look bad in this persona thing. No, but did you see the one with Joanna Stern? Joanna I mean, Stern, yes. Her persona did her dirty. I will give yeah. you that. And, like, weirdness of, like, whatever your hair and jewelry is doing, like I just seen in this video, her necklace was kind of like off to the side. Like you can't change that after the fact. <laughs> right. So yeah, however you are captured, a lot of your, everything basically, but just your face is kind of frozen in time from your hair to your clothing, to your jewelry. And this is literally the part of VR that really no one has figured out yet, right? Her, Facebook doesn't hasn't done any better. They're very cartoonish. When we did the demos, this was a part of it, but we didn't, we, I didn't, create a persona because it didn't matter because 
the person on the other end was an Apple employee, but they had a persona. So we did a FaceTime call and I could see their persona. At the time, because I didn't know the person and didn't know what they looked like, their persona was great. But these are people who you can see thousands of hours of footage of. And so you really can tell the difference between those. And I feel like um, I don't know how people will feel about this unless it gets a lot better. I mean, yeah, you mentioned Apple says this this is a feature in beta. So this is basically the full self-driving of the Vision Pro, right? It's still in beta. (laughs) Nice. Nice. Let's hope that it's not going to stay in beta for the next seven or eight years. I guess I hope that it gets better very quickly. I mean, I think this feature has to exist for the very fact that they believe video calling in the workplace and FaceTiming is going to be a long-term feature. I mean, Zoom has announced that they're going to be there on day one. I believe WebEx also, Microsoft Teams. So they're all going to be like, this is a needed feature because yeah. you need to be able to make video calls in Apple Vision Pro. So I think it's going to be improved on as fast as Apple can. But, you know, I do think it's interesting to see how much Apple Vision Pro can track. Because you have to remember, like, these people's actual faces are in the headset. Yeah. And any eye movement is being registered by the sensors inside the headset. And you can see there's a lot of eye movements. Like, you could see iJustine's eyes, like, just open wide right there. And, like, you could see her looking at the other participants. And when they bring their hands into view, you're basically seeing what Apple Vision Pro is tracking. Yep. And that's kind of impressive because you could see, you know, every finger, the details of what they're doing. So just for that alone, it's interesting to see how much Apple Vision Pro can track and, and how accurate that can be. And the details in the face, like, obviously, there's also kind of like Vaseline on the film, you know, I think on purpose. <laughs> they don't want to be too detailed because then it's going to really show the, the lack of, you know, realism if they try to go hyper detailed. So I think this like fuzzy, you know. MKBHD and, and Brian Tong's hair is like blurry, basically. Like they're not, it's not hyper detailed. You know, I think it's doing what they, what they need to do, but I'm curious to see what my persona is going to look like. I'm terrified. Actually. I'm curious to see what your persona is going to look like. We're going to FaceTime tomorrow. I, I actually think <laughs> to, uh, maybe they considered this, but for some people, I wonder if they would have just rather stick my emoji in there. Right. Like, cause if it's not real, it's right. like the question is, you can just do like basically what, but what Meta did, which is you're just a cartoon avatar, right? Good or bad, right. you're just. But everyone's like you're a cartoon avatar. It's fine. You judge that very differently than these personas, where you're, where the expectation is you're so close, which is impressive. It's impressive. But you're there's enough of a gap there that you're like maybe just give me the option to be my emoji because I know that that doesn't look. Really, it looks like what I wish I looked like, I guess. But it's it's it, it would be fine because they can do the same yeah. tracking. Like you can do the Memoji thing. I think you can even do that in FaceTime right now. So I don't know. You can, yeah, you can. Uh, yeah, I would be curious if that's something you can do in Apple Vision Pro. But so anyway, I'm getting mine tomorrow. I'm gonna be making a ton of videos about it. So I'll, you know, I'll link my own YouTube channel down below. Go over you there. Subscribe. Yeah, go over there. Subscribe. I have lots of ideas to uh, to try. I don't want to give it here on the on the show because you know I'm stealing my deers uh but no i'm gonna have a i have a bunch of i'm not gonna do like a review for a while if if you see any youtube reviewers getting this on friday and also putting up a review video on friday just know it's not a review that's a first impressions let's just yep, be real absolutely and uh, i might do that but we'll, but we'll see so right as we finished recording last week huge news dropped from apple and you know, Jason, he texted me and he was like, I've never been more angry <laughs> in my like, life. Really? One of like <sighs> a huge, huge announcement. And so just real quick, you've probably seen this already on the internet, but if this is the only tech show you listen to, which would be totally fine with us. Yeah, we this cover is, it all. 
Yeah. We cover it all. These, this big news, iOS 17.4, the first beta, and now the first public beta is released. And this is bringing sweeping changes, not only to uh, like Apple Podcasts, transcripts, we'll talk about it in a second, and some of the features you'll get as an iPhone user. But what you have heard from sideloading for years, that term, it is kind of basically almost coming to the iPhone in the EU. And so the, the biggest highlights is because of the DMA, which is the Digital Markets Act. Is yep. that what it stands for? Yeah, You're Digital Markets Act. This, thank you. This is the EU law that has been passed and is basically requiring Apple to open up the iPhone specifically to third-party app marketplaces. And that's the term because App Store is actually, I think, trademarked to the Apple. trademark, yes, correct. Yeah, it's like actually, and it's, see, I read, I read, Jason. This is what I was doing last night. Yeah, on my phone, I was reading. <laughs> okay, Good. I read, I read John Gruber's article word for word, which I will also link in the show notes. I highly recommend. Uh, but app third-party app marketplaces are, will be available in the EU on the iPhone, meaning Meta or Google. You would be able to go to their website, Google.com or whatever, download an app marketplace, not individual apps. Individual apps have to be in a marketplace. That's one of the rules. But you can have a third-party app marketplace on your iPhone that would allow you to download apps, say like WhatsApp or Instagram, and you would be able to download it, not in Apple's App Store, although they could choose to leave it in there as well, but there would be a third-party app marketplace, another icon on your iPhone. This is just EU only, where you can download those apps from those third parties, quote-unquote, directly. There's still a bunch of rules that these apps have to follow. They have to be notarized. They still have to meet Apple's privacy and security stipulations. And there's different like payments. And we'll get into all the details there. But this is a huge deal in the EU. Notably, this only affects iPhone. So it's not like you can get third-party app marketplaces on iPad. Right. That's correct. That's correct. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. Also, another change, game streaming apps. This is a global change. Xbox Cloud and the PlayStation gaming uh, game streaming apps. Those will be able to be native applications now on the iPhone and iPad. That's a global change. Before, you'd have to do the weird like Safari thing and add it to your home screen uh, in order to do that. But this will be uh, built in, or you can get the app directly uh, from the App Store. And also third-party browsers, browser engines. And so this is WebKit, which is the browser engine for Safari, had to power all the other browsers. So if you downloaded the Chrome app or the Brave or Microsoft Edge app for your iPhone, the engine that's rendering those web pages is actually the same as Safari. They all had to run WebKit. Well, now, and this is going to be, again, just the EU, that Chrome can use their browser engine that's different than WebKit, same with Mozilla and Firefox, and those different browsing engines uh, will power those apps. So for the first time, it'll actually be a different browser engine in the back end of those apps. What, what, what else did I miss here? What are the big ones? Okay, well, there's a big thing that you missed, but I do, which is the core technology fee, which I want to talk about in a second. Yeah. But but I, the first thing I wanted to say about this is that we, we called it sideloading at the beginning. And I think some people are like, I don't know what that means. Some people are like, oh, I know exactly what that means. This is probably neither of those things. So sideloading, what most people think of is I could just go to facebook.com and download the app right onto my phone without having to go through an app store. That's what people genuinely or generally think of as sideloading, or I can go to right. Epic's website and just put for, which you could do on Android. You could go to Epic's website, 
download Fortnite, it's a pain because you have to jump through a bunch of hoops to do it. Meaning there's a bunch of scare sheets between you visiting the website and you playing Fortnite that way. This is not that at all. You still will only be able to get apps through what they call alternative app marketplaces or Apple's app store. You still have to download them that way. And Apple will still be reviewing any apps that go into those alternative app stores, although they the DMA prohibits them from reviewing them for content. So they'll be deli- you know reviewing them to make sure that there's no malware involved, that they're that they still comply with sandboxing, those different types of things. Um, but I just wanted to like clarify that because I think people, if the headline is sideloading is coming to the iPhone, it's not a free for all, right? And the other interesting restriction that Apple put on these marketplaces is you can't just have one just for your own stuff. If you're going to offer one, you have to establish your your app review guidelines. You have to do, but like Epic can't just have one for its own games, right? Meta can't just have one where you could download WhatsApp, Instagram, Facebook, and uh, threads or whatever. Yeah. You, they have to be open to anyone, which leads to the other piece, which was the core technology fee. So I, the first thing, I, the first headline I saw about this after we recorded was the Mac Stories article that said the, the App Store Commission is going away in the EU because if you choose to distribute apps outside of the iOS App Store, you don't pay Apple any commission on those purchases, right? You still would pay if you pay them, if you distribute them within the app store, but that commission has gone down, right? From 30 and 15 to 20 and 13, if you use Apple's yes. payment method, it gets complicated, read Gruber's article, but the you wouldn't pay any commission if you're, if you're uh, selling apps in the outside of the app store, but every developer who has more than a million installations of their app will now have to pay Apple a half of a euro. I don't know how to say 50 cents of a euro. Oh, 50, that's a good question. Half, I don't know. A half, half of a euro. euro that's good. Which, <laughs> whatever 50 cents is in euros, that's what you would have to pay to Apple on an annual perpetual basis for each installation of an app per user. So like if I downloaded Fortnite on my phone and I lived in the EU, Epic would have to pay Apple 50 cents. 50 year, half of a year, whatever you knew what I'm talking about for that. And then they'd have to do that every year. And then it got confusing. People were like, wait, what if, you know, I've already got it installed on my phone. Great. This, you know, Spotify is not going to have a problem except it, an original installation counts, but also an update counts. So the first time you put out an update, you're going to get charged for all of those people who already had the app on your phone. So Apple, Apple knew what they were doing. The reason that I think that that is significant is that's essentially Apple's way of preventing this from actually happening because the amount of money, because here's like, I think it was, I'm almost positive it was Ben Thompson on dithering who essentially said Apple basically responded to the DMA by weaponizing free apps, right? <laughs> for, for the longest time, you could put an app out on the app store. And if that app was free, Facebook, Instagram, those apps don't cost users anything. Nor do you they didn't cost the to, companies anything. Like, well, right, right. You know, they have to pay a hundred dollar a year developer fee or whatever. Right. But like, it does not cost Meta anything to have their app in the app store because it's a free download. Yeah, that's what I was. Yeah, because you don't pay anything for that app or for a subscription. That company, that developer, doesn't pay anything to Apple. But now they will. They'll have to pay 
now this doesn't, you know, Apple, Apple makes a big point of this only applies to essentially 1% of developers, but it's the biggest, it's the only 1% that matters for this. Cause it's the only 1% of developers who would be capable of, of putting up an alternative app marketplace. So I, right. my, my take on this, I put this in my newsletter was essentially Apple is sending a very big message. I'm not sure it's the message that they should be sending, but I think that they were essentially setting the stage because they know that once this is available in the EU, it will be unavoidable that this will come to the U.S. You think so? Right. There's no way that Congress is going to look. Oh, absolutely. Give it. A, give it a year, maybe two at the most, before because Congress already has the Open Markets Act sitting there. They just can't get it passed. But there's no way they're going to look across at Europe and be like, "Oh, you guys are doing it, but we're just going to sit here and not do anything." That's true. I, I think it's pretty clear that it's coming. And Apple wants to say, "Okay, is do you just Facebook, Microsoft? I mean, think about like think about Microsoft. How many iPhones have either Outlook or Word or some version of a, a yeah. OneDrive?" Like teams, the, especially, yeah, all these apps on there. So like these, yeah. these companies do not now there's a catch though, right? They can avoid all of that by just saying, now nah, we'll just stick with the system that's existed all along. So they get to choose and it's only if they choose the new business terms that any of that applies. So Apple's basically saying, how badly do you want out of this system? Cause we could make right. it worse, which Epic games would be the one I would think that would sure. get out of the system. Although to, you know, if you're in a third-party app marketplace, you have to allow other apps into your store, yep. into your marketplace. So I'm curious, like, would Epic be cool with that? I mean, maybe they would. Maybe they don't care. That like, was their whole thing. That that was actually the whole thing they wanted. There, there are. This is why it was ridiculous that they were suing Apple and Google. They lost to Apple and they won against Google. Whatever. What's weird about it is Fortnite doesn't care that there's a middleman. They just want to be the middleman, right? They just want right. to be the one collecting the commission. They don't think That's a right. commission is bad. They just don't want it to be Apple collecting the commission. Right. They want to have their own app store. What I think will be interesting, I don't know how the how the counting works, but if Epic has a app store, they have to agree to the new terms, which means they are now on the hook for the f- half of a euro per installation. But do they also have to count installations of apps sold through the App Store? I don't know. Like that would be really interesting if that's because that would seriously disincentivize Epic from wanting to offer apps in the App Store that are free, right? Because you're not going to distribute right. Facebook's app if you have to pay the half of your right. So right. I don't know. And a couple other interesting points. This is from Gruber's article. Like I mentioned before, sandboxing of iPhone apps still stands. And so privacy and security should remain like at the level that app store apps possibly will see also because no private APIs will be allowed even from apps from third-party marketplaces. So that means something like I always use this example, audio hijack, which runs on the Mac has like greater access to your audio devices, uh, than, than just using the regular APIs that Mac OS provides. That's why if you install audio hijack, you have to like restart your computer and open yourself to like a kernel, something or other. I don't even know the, the terms, but you basically have to tell the Mac like, Hey, 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 I want to like allow this app to do its thing. Let me do it. So a private API would be like if Audio Hijack uh, released an app for iPad, we'll say, and it actually gave you controls over your audio input and output devices, that that's not an API Apple already has and provides developers and says like, yeah, you can use these features of the hardware in your app. A private API might be like a developer doing that without Apple directly uh, providing that API. In this case, with the EU laws, private APIs are still not allowed. So even if you have a third-party app marketplace with a bunch of apps that 
do things apps in the app store can't do like there's still no private apis allowed so you won't get any kind of like right. feature additions that you wouldn't get because it's a, in the app store from apple like so no private apis that's hopefully i explained that okay but no private apis yeah let me say let me say something about that the, think of it this way i think the journal app is a really good example Apple's journal app can do things that day one cannot do because Apple's apps have access to APIs that it does not make available to developers. Those are private APIs. And so you can, so day one in the EU could not decide we're going to go to the alternative app store and we're going to just put our mouth on that hose of information that's coming, right? Those are not right. public APIs. Those are private APIs. So those are things that Apple, you know, because Apple makes the platform, it can do certain things with what's happening on the platform that other apps cannot do. So that, I guess, is that a, maybe a distinction between what a public API and a private API is? Yeah, that's good. And two other quick things. If you choose to put your app in a third-party app marketplace, you can't go back in. Like Ever. Once you're, well, you can go back in. You just can't go back to the other terms, right? You're going to pay the core technology the fee forever. Yep. Right. So you can't, right. So I think that's just an interesting, you can't, yeah. And then... Apple can't reject on copyright in these third-party app marketplaces in the EU, which means, again, I'll go back to like Casey List, the ATP. He released the app call sheet, which the App Store review stopped him because there was like an image of Pixar movies, because of course, it's, it's a an app about movie casts and crew and whatever. But app, Apple rejected it at first because it looked like copyright infringement because it was an image of a Pixar movie in the app. Well, if apps go through the third-party app marketplace in the Europe, then you, they Apple can't reject based on copyright, which means right. someone could release an app that's like Tim Cook wearing funny costumes or whatever, and like Apple can't reject because of that, <laughs> or right, or, or you know, weird whatever whatever copyright issues that's not something Apple will be able to reject uh, a basis. Of. So I think that's interesting. I don't know yeah, Apple won't be able to. In theory, if Meta puts out a store, they're going to because they don't want to get sued by Disney or by whoever, right? That's so it, it isn't. I don't have any. I don't know anything about EU copyright law, so I'm just I'm just saying things right now. But <laughs> the important distinction is it doesn't. The EU. It's actually just a good example of the EU didn't really know what it's doing because, for example. Why is iPad OS not affected? Is it because right. there's not enough iPad users? I mean, it's still the, it's still the exact same stuff. And it's because they were clearly targeting the iPhone. And so Apple created right. these guidelines to just sneak under the letter of the exact law, regardless of what they meant. And this, I think, is another example. Apple, you know, the EU is saying Apple cannot reject these apps based on their content and copyright would be a function of content. Right. And so then the question is like, okay, well, I mean, you're going to, would you rather have us reject your app or would you rather have Mickey Mouse come to your house? Like <laughs> right. Disney, that's what's going to happen. Disney will come for you. Absolutely. And the other, the last thing here I'll say is the big content thing is Apple not being able to reject apps based on content is like pornographic apps. Like this yep. would allow Apple Gambling. historically. Yep. Yeah, and gambling, those kind of apps have not been allowed. Like this was a whole thing with Tumblr, the Tumblr app and the app store, because there was content on Tumblr that was deemed in that category. At least Apple put it there. And they, you know, I'm not sure if they're in the app store now or not, but I know that was an issue for a while, but that would be something where in this EU law with third party app marketplaces, those kinds of apps could quote unquote be installed through those marketplaces on the iPhone. And so that might be a, a big economy over there. We'll see. We'll see. But I'm also curious, I, I don't know this, is the UK included 
in this? Do we have to do geography and politics now? Okay, do you remember Brexit? <laughs> I remember Brexit, so they're not a part okay, of the so EU. Okay, so no, they're not a part of the That's EU. It. It's so none simple. of this applies. Yep, exactly. Okay. Because uh, a lot of people on social media was like, UK? I was like, nope. ah, I don't think <laughs> not so. Not a part of the EU. <laughs> they're not a part of the EU. Okay, there you go. Very They've cool. opted out of the EU's app store. They are uh, their own separate <laughs> political marketplace. Core British fee. Just kidding. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> if you're if you're listening in the UK and, and you're mad about this, let, let us know. Uh, email to, to the see. other the other guy at primarytech.fm. <laughs> yeah, the guy. I am doing that uh, later today. Okay, hundred percent. All right, well, I want to talk about the social media hearing with the government and a little Microsoft Google news. Uh, before we do, just want to let our listeners know thank you again for all those supporting the show. And we have some sponsors coming up in the coming weeks, but not on today's episode, which means. It is a great opportunity for you, listener and viewer, to support the show directly. There's been lots of you doing it already, which is amazing. And we thank them. They're actually not going to hear this because I'm going to cut this out for those because they already support the show. (laughs) So that's how the ad-free version works. But we thank them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can support the show $5 a month, $50 a year. And there's been some of you doing both of those, which we really appreciate. You can support the show directly in Apple Podcasts or on Memberful. We have a link at primarytech.fm for bonus episodes. And you can do either one. We appreciate all the support. And if not, if you can't afford that or whatever, we hope you enjoy the show. Five-star rating and review is free to give in Apple Podcast or Spotify. And so you could do that. But now's a great opportunity to support primary technology. And yeah, thank you. Thank you for your support. Social media hearing. I saw a couple of clips of this come up on TikTok, ironically enough. Ironic because TikTok's CEO was there. <laughs> That's why Exactly. <laughs> and like the line of questioning. So this was a Senate hearing about social media and like child abuse. I'll let you take the, cause you actually wrote about this on Inc.com. So why don't you explain what exactly what this was and takeaways? Yeah, it was, so it was a Senate, Senate hearing on, on social media and is essentially a hearing about the harms that social media can cause. So for a long time, there have been sort of two intersecting avenues of this harm. One is um, what you might expect. Social media platforms are sort of a, hotbed of distribution for material that just probably shouldn't exist on the internet. It certainly should not be intersecting with young people. And the thing is, social media networks have been terrible about how they handle young people. It's sort of like the whole cigarette thing. It's like if you could get someone hooked on cigarettes when they're 12, then they'll be a smoker for life. And that's worth a whole lot of money. But really, nobody objectively would say that it's good to get 12 year olds hooked on cigarettes. In most areas, you're not allowed to be on social media until you're 13. Like, most most social media platforms will not allow you to have an account, but all you have to do is make up a different birthday. Like there's just so many things there. And and this hearing involves some emails uh, and, and meta especially where essentially these emails were p- executives at meta saying like, well, we know that this is a problem, but they just wouldn't put the resources towards doing anything about it. And so mm. Senate, the Senate, because they like to haul you know, text CEOs before them and ask them questions that really have no answers. They did that. They did this yesterday. Linda Yaccarino from X was there, although it was easy to forget she was there because nobody actually asked her questions. Um, the CEO of, of TikTok was there and they didn't actually ask very many questions about the topic, which was presumably supposed to be about the harms to teenagers. Really, they just asked him about like, are you a part of the Communist Party? Because citizenship. Yes, which is he's from Singapore. Like it's it's ridiculous. That's the thing. And I wrote about this because the thing that's getting most of the attention is that during the hearing, one of the senators, Josh Hawley from Missouri, was grilling uh, 
Mark Zuckerberg, the CEO of Meta, the founder of Facebook, about some of the statistics. You know, it was something like 37% of teenagers from the age 15 to or 13 to 15 have experienced unwanted nudity on the app. And his question was not like, what are you doing about this? His question is like, who did you fire? Mark Zuckerberg's like, what? What's your question? And he's like, who did you fire? It was very Batman sort of like, who? Anyway. <laughs> he said, um, who did you fire? Who did you fire? I can do it when I'm sick, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so then he said, have you ever even apologized to these people? You're on national TV. Do you want to? And I, this, this moment, you just have to think about like, first of all, Mark Zuckerberg is not a super charismatic person. He comes across as a robot. He does not come across very empathetic, but he is very smart. And in that moment, he stood up and he turned around and he did. He apologized, sort of. He, did. he didn't actually apologize for anything he had done. He apologized for what people had gone through. So it really illustrates that nobody's actually, well, Congress is not actually trying to solve this problem. They just want to look as though they are trying to hold people accountable because it's good for television and it's good for right. creating political sound bites. But I don't give Mark Zuckerberg, you know me, I don't give Mark Zuckerberg much credit for anything other than when he was going to take on Elon Musk in a cage fight. That I would have paid to see. <laughs> I would have paid. hundred percent. And I'm pretty sure Mark Zuckerberg would have won. I'm willing to give him. And that was actually the highlight of his career. He's never looked more like yes, reasonable and people were rooting for him. And I think he, I think he did the absolute right thing by standing up to apologize at that moment. But I think that the entire, like nothing will come out of that hearing yesterday. But it is helpful to know that it happened. So Ted Cruz was asking him, he had the screenshot and it showed, you know, this is sensitive material. Do you want to see it? Like see anyway, it was like a small link at the bottom. And then there's the big button of like, look away. And Ted Cruz was asking like, why is that see anyway link there? And Mark Zuckerberg, I think adeptly said like, sometimes the algorithm is wrong. And that's why we put it, like, we're not sure sometimes, like the algorithm is not sure. And I see this sometimes on Instagram where I'll be going through stories and I see someone that I know well, personal friend, I know they don't post anything outlandish, and it will be blurred out with a little eye icon saying, this is hidden because this might be sensitive. Do you want to see it? And it's like a picture of a sandwich, but maybe right. the algorithm <laughs> thought it was like <laughs> a severed limb. I don't know. So it was, you know, it, it'll obscure it. And I think, again, Mark Zuckerberg answered honestly. I don't think he's hiding anything. But an interesting fact that came out after that was they did ask how large are the content moderation teams of these companies? And Facebook, and I believe it was TikTok said about 40,000 people are basically like the cumulative number of who, you know, are, are moderation teams. And then I think there was another platform. I forget who, I, mean, I think it was X. X was like, yeah, we got a couple thousand. <laughs> they do not have a couple thousand. They have three people. And the only thing that they do is they take down posts that pick on Elon Musk too much. That's it. Yeah, exactly. So that was awkward. But, but to what you were saying, that apology from Mark Zuckerberg, again, robot or not, is he an android? Who knows? But he's smart. Oh, yeah. Mark Zuckerberg is a smart guy. And I'm sure he has read The Prince by Machiavelli and knows all the political <laughs> strategies. And he did, like, he basically called the senator's bluff. Yeah. You know, my, my last thought is just, I, I wish that during these hearings, they could recruit people from the tech industry to actually ask the best questions to these CEOs. Because I mean, to get the C like the meta CEO X TikTok, like they get all these tech CEOs in the room multiple times a year. Like last year, I know there were multiple instances. They also had like Tim Cook, Sundar Pichai, uh, Satya Nadella on a, I don't know if it was last year or the year before, you know, they have these, they have these hearings sometimes over a video or whatever. And it's like, I would love 
honestly, like Neelai Patel, who is a lawyer and a tech journalist, to be like to ask some questions because right. I feel like they would be a just a more knowledgeable question because these I don't think these senators understand the actual like technical side of some of these platforms about say moderation or how algorithms work with that kind of stuff. So that's I wish I, I think. Well, I think the problem is actually bigger. Not that we're going to stray into politics. I'll just say this. Josh Hawley is a very smart person, like very smart. He was attorney. I think he's attorney general of Missouri. He's extremely intelligent. It is not that he does not understand how this is working. It is just that his objective is not to figure that out because his question was, who did you fire? You know, you didn't do anything. And Mark Zuckerberg immediately starts to try to explain, like, actually, that's why we're investing billion, literal billions of dollars in whatever, whatever, whatever. Right. And he's like, no, who did you fire? And it's like, you're not actually interested. If you, what you really wanted, this is what I wrote. If you really wanted to know what Meta is doing to solve this problem, you would let him answer the question. You wouldn't just keep shouting, who did you fire? Right. As if that was the only possible. It's like the gotcha question, the asking yes or no questions that don't have yes or no answers. That's that's what Congress does. And so it's not really that surprising that that we're not actually going to solve some of these problems because the people who are put in charge of, of making regulation or making laws, yeah, they're really interested in making regulation and making laws if that's the thing that will help to advance their political career. It's just that televised hearings are not where that sort of thing happens. It's just about right. being on record, saying a specific thing or yelling at a tech CEO. And listen, like none of the people who were there are blameless, right? Like they've all created these platforms that have caused real world harm to real people and they should be held accountable. This is just not how you do that. This is just how right. po politicians score points. I'm going to stop ranting before I start talking about self-driving cars again. <laughs> no, that's good. That's good. Last couple things, Microsoft and Google earnings news. Apple actually has an earnings call like as we record today. And listeners, I would just be curious to know. You can comment on the YouTube video or you can reach us on all the different social media. Like if you like to hear about that kind of stuff, if you're curious about like Apple's earnings calls directly or if you just, you know, I'm just curious uh, if you want. But basically two articles will kind of share either both cover both at the same time. But Microsoft, they announced a lot of their revenue and gaming is now their third largest business. In case you were curious, the biggest business are like cloud services and Office, I think, or the, those are one and two. Right. Those are the top two. Well, yeah. their, their Windows, they, it's weird how Microsoft does it. If you actually look at their earnings report, it's like broken into 137 categories. And so it's actually kind of confusing to like exactly know what's going on. What was the news that was interesting is because of their acquisition of Activision Blizzard, that their largest like gaming right is like becoming right. one of their largest businesses because it's it's like they're absorbing all of that revenue that's produced by the company that they bought. And so it's like Microsoft, we don't, yeah, they make Xbox, like they are in the gaming thing, but it's becoming an even bigger part of their business. So, right, exactly. So that's, uh, that was interesting. It is office and cloud revenue are the top two and cloud, like Microsoft Azure. I remember that they like sponsored the daring fireball talk show when it was at WWDC several years. Like Azure is like a huge, uh, a supporter of, or, provider of cloud services even for like ios app developers so yep yeah yep that's a huge business but also alphabet reported on their revenue and i think some of the interesting takeaways is that they spent 2.1 billion dollars last year on severance for layoffs that happened during the year which is a lot of money to fire a lot of people but yeah i assume that means yeah. 
that well they laid off out yeah they so they laid off twelve thousand people last january right they announced it it was a big huge it was while everybody was laying people off basically and and it was interesting because in december the ceo sundar pachai said that that layoff that round of layoffs was actually one of the most difficult periods of that that company which is saying a lot i mean google's been around for what 25 years they it's like that round of layoffs he's saying is one of the biggest challenges that they've been through. And I have, I've written about this several times and I've heard from people at Google who have said to me directly that the last year of working at Google has been one of the most difficult in terms of its culture and the way people feel about working there. The other interesting thing about their earnings is that they're still making a ton of money, right? Google is doing right. just fine. But, but the, what happened is that Google's ads, you know, search ad business and its YouTube ad business didn't do quite as well as people thought that they were going to do. And so apparently that that's bad, bad news, even though it's like you're making as much or more money than you've ever made, but you didn't make right. quite enough. And what I also, I feel like once the severance packages pass or whatever, that's going to be a couple billion dollars that not going out plus all right. the salaries that they were paying for those people. But yeah, the YouTube ad revenue is interesting, especially me doing YouTube and <laughs> yeah. being a part of that <laughs> community. The expected was nine point two one billion. Still made nine point two billion, so it's yeah. just the point one, which is I guess ten million dollars. Ten million dollars, yeah. I mean, you're right. You know, it's 10, it's not that they yeah people who care about stock prices, right? Analysts. What they want to see is that you beat it by 10 million, not that you were like, they just want you to be exceeding expectations because that shows that you're, that you're moving in the right direction. So the, but the bottom line is like Microsoft is now the largest tech company in the, what's the largest company in the world. They've surpassed like Apple for real at the moment. They'll probably yeah. continue going back and forth. But again, we, t I think we talked about this. It's entirely because of their AI play. Mm, right. Well, again, let me know if, if you want to hear more about earnings and stuff. And especially like Apple's earnings. Let us know if there's any, you know, any in interesting tidbits that come from the earnings calls, which there rarely is, you know, which is something like I used to listen and wait to see like, does Tim Cook or whoever say anything interesting on these calls aside from numbers? Not really. I mean, they're not going to give away any kind of like product news. You know what I mean? Like, it's just not. No. The only reason it's interesting is that this is the quarter that they report. This is their first quarter earnings report, which is actually the last three months of the year. Right. And so they're going to report their holiday sales. So it is a big deal. Like it, this is the, if you were ever going to care, this is the one to care to. They'll actually have a call later today that I will be listening to and I'll write about it. You can just read it. Like just Follow me on something and just read it. And uh, then let us know if you think there's anything worth talking about there. That's a great plan. Read what Jason writes at the other guy. Always. At, no, yes, always. Absolutely. Uh, and we're, I actually have a link that I save, uh, which just goes to all the articles that Jason writes. I'll put that link in the show notes at the very top. That's amazing. So you can just see, oh, just stay up to date right That's there. Amazing. I appreciate that. Um, okay. I'm going to say I want to move our personal tech to the bonus episode for our Perfect. paid supporters, which is going to be the quote unquote best or most influential Mac software. And this is because I listened to the upgrade episode where they had like John Gruber and John Syracuse and Stephen Hackett. They were all talking about Mac and Jason was right. It's a great episode. It really is. I hope my, one of my goals is that when the iPad hits 10 or 20 years, well, no 20 years, it would be that I would be on something like that. I would like, that sounded like a fun episode or we will do that. We will host. Yeah. I mean, there is That's a way you can be on that. You have a podcast. <laughs> I want some of these guys, though. I want some of these guys to, to, to be on it, but we'll see. Yeah. We were, we were right next to uh, the talk show in the Apple Podcast Top Chart last week. That's amazing. So, oh, 
I was thank like, you. maybe thank you, friends. John Gruber will be on the show sometime. But the iPad, I mean, we could invite Federico Vitici. Um, there's yeah, quite Christopher a few people Lally on YouTube. Yep. And there's, uh, the one guy from okay. Fernando Silva. There's Fernando Silva. Yes. That is who I was going to talk about, but I really felt bad saying there's the one guy. <laughs> I'm the other guy. And then there's the, the one other guy. guy. <laughs> that one, no, no, for, no. a good friend of mine. Exactly. So yeah, that, that would be good. Yeah. We'll do an iPad one. That'd be, tw- well, that's uh, a couple years away. Cause iPad yeah. came out 2011. Mm, I think that sounds about right. Like 2011. So we're like, we just passed the 10 years. Anyway, we'll figure 15. it out. We could do 15 years. We'll do 15 years. 15 years sounds good. So we're going to talk about, you know, favorite, most influential Mac software. But before we go, I do want to just touch on this Arc browser thing, because this was something like, you know, it it floods social media. Everybody's like posting screenshots of themselves using Arc browser. And I personally don't typically do any kind of third party browser thing on my iPhone or iPad. One, because I knew the browser engine is exactly the same. (laughs) You know, if you try to use Chrome, you know, like I talked about before. But this Arc thing is a little different where... So I did a search. So you download, it's a free app. You can just try it. You download it and you do a search. And the first time I did it, it just showed me like Google results. And I was like, well, th- why would I do this? I didn't realize you have to tap the browse, browse. for me option. Yep. So I yep. searched for a thing. I did the browse for me. And basically what it does, it uses AI, I assume, some kind of large language model on the back end to cre- basically create this like mini web page for you and pulls information from lots of different sources and will link you to the sources they're talking about and tries to answer your question or find the information you're looking for in a like visually appealing and easy to parse way. Yep. And me and my kids were talking yesterday about the difference between fur and hair in mammals. And is there a difference? <laughs> Listen, <laughs> it's this, you know, this kind of conversations I have with my kids in the car on the way home. And I searched once I got home just on Google, the difference and, you know, lots of articles pull up. Google tries to surface like the top thing. And I was like, all right, I saw this arc search app everywhere. Let me try it. And so I tried it and it actually provided a really helpful, like little page of information saying basically on a molecular level, they're exactly the same hair and fur. It's like a protein and it's like, it's the same thing, whether it's human hair or animal fur or whatever, but colloquially we say fur for animals and hair for humans and that's it. And, and, you know, it, but it provided it in a, like a really nice way to quickly see like, what, what is the answer to this? Possibly that's not like a difficult question, but it was hard to find a good answer on Google. Right. And so I, I think it's interesting and also shows what Google might be heading towards because Google has talked about their AI quote, like search results and what will appear at the top of search results in Google. So it was interesting. I did find it useful. I'll probably not use this, very often, but I'm going to keep it on my phone. Did you try it? Yeah. Well, I mean, I did the thing that is, uh, I didn't search for hair and fur. That was not a conversation that we had. I did the more logical thing that any human would do with this is I just typed in my own name. <laughs> so like, oh. what, and, and said browse for me. And, and and I was actually really, you know, if you ask chat GPT to write your bio and you have some amount of stuff on the internet, it will find that stuff and it'll try to write a bio, but it was like completely wrong. I was born in the Hills of West Virginia, spent years and you know, like I'm, which is, it's not true. So it just makes things up if it doesn't find the answer. This on the other hand was really, really interesting. Like it did a, like it did a good job of, of summarizing those types of things that found stuff that I wouldn't have normally thought. And I thought, well, this is, a good research tool. And so I just started typing in like names of people that I either had interviews with or people that I was going to be having a meeting with or that kind of thing. And I'm, and it was actually really useful for that. The piece that I feel like is missing 
And I don't know that this capability has necessarily come because there is a browser available for the Mac, the Arc browser. I right. believe that that's true. I don't know that this is part of that, but if it was, I wouldn't use it as my main browser, but an app on my Mac where I could do that and just have like the little window open on the side if I'm having a, a conversation with somebody, I would 100% do that. I would much rather that something like this be built into like Notion, which is where I'm already doing all that kind of stuff. But it it right. does a really good job of finding information and then it tells you where it got the information so that you know and you can find more information. But I, I, I don't know that I will use it as it, it would definitely not be my regular way of searching things. But I think that if I go do a Google search and I'm like, mm, just summarize this for me, this this would be a good way to do that. So. I did. I did search for myself, as you. Which you should do. Which you should do, and you know it's it's pretty accurate. You know, it pulls my profile photo from different websites and such, and it talks about you know I make podcasts and YouTube. You know, it says Riverside.fm, which is accurate. Uh, primary technology is not listed, so Arc, can we update the servers, please? And uh, yeah, even okay, yeah, and it has my website, like my a link to my X account and YouTube channel and all that kind of stuff. So it did a pretty good job. Yeah. So. Uh, apparently it says it thinks that Apple Insider I led IT initiatives, which is not accurate. But. And it's interesting because <laughs> I looked you up just now. I thought, who am I talking okay. to? Um, <laughs> the other we guy. are the, so it does say host the Apple Insider podcast, which is no longer true and other tech related shows. It should say other tech related mm. shows with the other guy, right? Where we're just a lot of <laughs> others. Um, but it does, I mean, nickname known as the bearded teacher in some online profiles. That's what it says. So it's interesting Interesting. what it pulls up. So it seems to be doing real time searches. Like it doesn't, it does not just have profiles on us, right? Every time you search something, it is going through and creating this little, it's like a dossier. I feel very like, um, you know, having this little, yeah, it's, it's great. Wow. Yeah. An AI generated dossier. Maybe that's the show title at the, Oh yeah, there you go. (laughs) It's a little long, but. AI dossier, maybe. So that's it. That's our. Uh, let us know, listen, if you were using that. And again, if you haven't, give us a five star rating and review an Apple Podcast. We're going to go record a bonus episode, which, if you'd like to hear that, support the show directly in Apple Podcasts or at memberfullprimarytech.fm. You can sign up there monthly or annually. But if you can't do that, five star review and rating is wonderful. And let us know if you want to hear more about Apple earnings or any feedback from the show. You can contact Jason and I. Both our social media handles from all, basically everywhere, like Threads, Mastodon, Stellan X. You can check all of that in the show notes. And links to everything we talked about are down in the show notes as well. We didn't get to talk about Apple Podcast transcripts, but maybe we'll talk about it later. We'll talk, we'll talk about another episode because that's a all big right. deal. But anyway, right. thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time.